I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. I call all my podcast special. This is another special one because I've got a special guest on by the name of Kirk Herbstreet. He joined me last year to, uh, before Ohio State played Clemson in a college football playoff semifinal, that forgettable college football playoff semifinal, uh, the college football playoff semifinal that was yanked from Ohio State's grasp by a replay official. And uh, kind of like what we saw a little bit, saw a little bit of evidence of that on Saturday night. Uh, uh, my friend <laughs> Awesome Ward, he's joining me as he usually does. I mean, where that uh, – call came from uh, that, in fact, uh, Justin Fields did not run out the clock after taking a snap, taking three or four steps backwards and then slowly kneeling. That wasn't enough to kill two seconds off of a clock. Uh, as, I, as I said, I think the clock operator was already starting that back, back countdown to uh, daylight saving time going away <laughs> on Saturday night. That's the impression I got. What did you, what did you leave there with, uh, Awesome? Uh, well, I'm not sure why that should have even mattered because the play clock next to it was still rolling, and I think it had ticked off three or four seconds at least. Um, also, have they never heard of a stopwatch or any other solution that we could come up with here? That was one of the more bizarre things I've seen, and especially because it didn't seem like Penn State was clamoring for it. They were going to the locker room, and then that you know official ran up and tapped some shoulders and like, hey, hey would you guys like three free points to try and start this comeback? And they're like, ah, okay, sure, I guess. Um, I hope it doesn't get blocked and go the other way, which probably would have been the only fitting result. Um, We've got TV viewers leaving leaving and going to another game, you know. Of course, was, if it was Alabama-Mississippi State, they were sorely disappointed, but go ahead. I, I just can't – it's like you talked about the Fiesta Bowl. The officiating incompetence is just out of control, and I, I've always been a person that makes sure to say, hey, don't blame the officials for games. They have a very hard job, but at some point – when these things just stack up over and over, you got to wonder if there's other underlying issues that have to be addressed. That was absolutely crazy. But what bothered me, the, the, I mean, you could, you could debate all you want whether there should be uh, – should there have been one second left on the clock? What does that even mean? You know what I mean? Should, if anything was at point – you know, that's the other thing. That's not like a, a, a basketball clock over there. You don't have the degrees of tenths and one hundredths that are left, so you're left hanging. It's kind of like – Kind of like you take the ball to the one-foot line, and then the referee comes up, they measure, and you're short, and then he puts the ball down at the one. You know what I mean? Instead of the one-foot line, et cetera. But, uh, but the, the bottom line is the, the, the call I did not like, which I thought also fueled the other field goal that uh, Penn State got in that first half, was the roughing the passer call on Baron Browning. Uh, yes, he did, he did finish off hitting him just as he threw by putting him – firmly on the ground there is no doubt about that but that was like what are you what are you doing what are, what are we looking at here what's the definition go back and read that part of the rule book back to me again that was that was a huge huge call in that game too agreed yeah and I guess uh at the risk of going on any kind of another another one officiating diatribe 
I did not think that that call made any sense. Um, I, I look at this game as a, Ohio State won it by the smallest amount possible. Part of that was because of what I view as six free points for Penn State. They also missed two chip shot field goals, which you wrote about uh, for us at Letterman Row on Monday with the special teams issues. But so it, even if you just took those points and not the fact that, you know, the just miss Garrett Wilson, the ball goes off his hands. But just those points, you know, what does that get you? 44-19, uh, and that looks yeah. like a blowout that it really felt like, uh, you know, to me because they there was no point in that matchup where I thought Ohio State was seriously challenged or could lose the game. Yeah, agreed, 100%. Well, you know what? Uh, a fellow who was there on Saturday night, and uh, he talks about just sort of the atmosphere and, and just what he really – uh, is impressed by with Ohio State now, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is uh, Kirk Herbstreit, obviously a former Ohio State quarterback, an alum who uh, cut his teeth in the broadcasting world right here in Columbus, Ohio, getting a really break from my good buddy Paul Moose Spahn at Channel 10 and then parlaying that into maybe becoming, you know, arguably the best, but definitely in the running for the best college football analyst there's ever been. Uh, he – he opted to join me this week, and uh, without further ado, awesome, I'm going to go straight to uh, my interview with Kirk Herbstreit. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Tim May Podcast, Kirk Herbstreet joins me for the second time. Uh, You know, Kirk, you helped me preview that Ohio State-Clemson game, uh, what seems like an eternity ago, but 10 10 months ago, and here you are back. First time you've gotten to see uh, Ohio State live this year, and just uh, what was your take from a pretty quiet, happy valley? Very quiet. That that was probably the the craziest part of it, right? Just – just taking in what we normally know. Chris Fowler, who obviously I work with, made a point that we've all gotten somewhat accustomed to watching sporting events without fans. And he said, of all the sporting events you've watched all year, this will be the, the biggest contrast from what you're used to watching to what you're going to watch as far as the energy of the game. Agreed. Definitely, definitely played out that way. So uh, strange, uh, but I was fired up. Anytime I get to do Ohio State game, I'm, I get pretty wound up. And I was – Excited to see them after the Nebraska game, after really breaking down the film. I, I, I just felt that Ryan Day didn't have to do a lot. Um, respectful to, to Nebraska, who looks to be much better, but they just, I mean, they were doing whatever they needed to do, especially in the passing game, and yeah. put up 52. And so I thought we all thought, okay, well, let's see against Penn State's defense, even though they don't have Micah Parsons, but they're just the scheme that Brent Pry plays and the athletes they have. This will be a little more of a challenge. And as you know, 
first play jet sweep. You know, they, they, Garrett Wilson sets the tone early. The offensive line coming off the ball. I mean, give Ryan Day credit for getting his team. Remember, empty stadium. Yeah. If you haven't been to a stadium yet in college football, it's not just during the game. It's you're, you run onto the field and you're used to being booed at and cussed at. No noise. Yeah. You run a 60-yard gain and you're used to the crowd and energy. Nothing. It's like it practice. And so for them to elevate their energy is all about Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson and the offensive staff and really the whole staff because they came hard charging out of the gate with a purpose. And yeah. three plays, they're in the end zone. I mean, I'm just getting my headphones set at <laughs> 7 nothing. So that's my, that's my memory of that game is the way they came out. And, of course, Justin Fields, and they're just so fortunate uh, to have so many playmakers. Yeah. And I, the, the thing I wanted to see is could the offensive line and Master Teague and, and Trey Sermon be more assertive and more physical at the point of attack than they were against Nebraska? Because, quite honestly, they weren't. Yeah. And I thought Master Teague got behind his pads and was running. And you, if you can do that with Fields and Garrett Wilson and Olave – and the tight ends and these younger receivers, it's just a lot to deal with, not to mention the creativity and the scrambling of field. So it's as good of an offense as I think there is in the country. And the crazy thing is they're still kind of learning how good they can be. Uh, but from where they were week one to where they went week two, uh, pretty fired up about where, what, what they have. You made a great point uh, after the record, uh, the second record touchdown. I think it was the second one, the little – you know, I call it the uh, – it was kind of the pop-up pass, the step-up yep. pop-up pass, except he didn't really jump in the air like Tebow yep. or somebody. But, uh, yeah. but the point was, this is a <laughs> – it's been a new era in Ohio State football for a while, but this is definitely past the new era uh, from the standpoint of Ryan Day will be bold. He will, he will be audacious with his play calling. Like he even says, you still – your heart's in your throat when you make a call like that because – it goes against conventional wisdom to a certain extent, but that's where they are in their offensive rev, uh, evolution. But I, but I thought, like you just pointed out, they got a lot of criticism from the week before of not having a running attack. What, is, what does Ryan Day do? <clears throat> First three plays of the game. Jet sweep, yep. handoff yep. to Garrett Wilson, 62, and then Master Teague, two carries into the end zone. And yep. it was like no passes thrown, 75 yards. Uh, well, there's, there's your statement. Uh, and then, you know, uh, what, how would you explain Ryan Day in a nutshell? You've gotten to talk to him a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, he yeah. is a different dude to, to Urban Meyer, to, to uh, John Cooper, to Jim Trussell, to, to Earl Bruce. But just explain him to people who don't really understand what he's about. One of my favorite guys. Um, I didn't know him at all. Uh, Chip uh, told me a lot about him. He played for Chip, Chip Kelly. Yeah. And so Chip would kind of shed some light. This is when he came over as an OC. I was curious to get to know him a little bit better. So spent a lot of time asking Chip about him. He just like could not say enough positive things about him. And then that situation when Urban had to go out for first few games, I, whatever season that was, 17, 18. and he stepped in. And I, I, you know, it's a tough thing to do, man, even though you have a talented team, but to not try to be Urban Meyer, but, but to be comfortable in your own skin to be Ryan Day, yeah. Um, tough. And I thought he, he, he passed that, that, uh, that time in his career with flying colors and it probably gave him the opportunity to become the guy on the back end. Exactly. Of and so I've gotten to know him really, really well since all of that. 
and I it just I can't say enough about what a person he is. And, you know, when you get him on the off season, you're just kind of talking to him about life. He's just one of those guys. He's he's a dad, you know, and he, I think he treats his program with the players like a dad. Now, yeah. on game day, he's as intense of a play caller as you're going to meet. He probably reminds me the most of Lincoln Riley because they're both very similar, kind of subdued, really chill, nice guys off the field and away from the game. And then they're kind of savants with their play calling and the way they see the field. They're very similar and they're yeah. super intense on, on the, uh, the day of the game. And I think you make a great point. And I think people need to really embrace this and appreciate third and one, not just Ryan day, but Ryan day's confidence in Justin Fields. I don't think he fears the consequences. So it's like, he's not going to just quarterback sneak it all the time or just hand it off to Teague. He may fake that and get you out of position and throw a crosser at 25 yards to Chris Olave. It's like, holy cow, what happened yeah. to the, the, the safe way when the surest way yeah. that's not Ryan day. And I think it's not just right. Again, got to give Justin Fields credit for his willingness to be that guy next year. You might not see that approach from Ryan day because he's working in a young quarterback, but right now he's like, I trust Justin. I trust my playmakers. If we miss it, throw our great defense out there. We're ready to go. So I think it's, it's a combination of a lot of things, but boy, yeah. do I appreciate it uh, watching that because you just watch college football all day Saturday and watch how many guys that call plays have that aggressive approach. And um, I, I think it's, it, it puts him in a different category, but he's a guy that if you're a Buckeye fan, you should be incredibly proud of who you have as your head coach, not just because of the way he does it on Saturday, but when you walk, you know, it's like you walk into the Woody Hayes facility and there's just, it's a different yeah. feel, vibe, v different feel in the air over there with him in charge. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> interesting too. I mean, you brought this up while you were talking there and you were, you didn't say it like I've said it, but you can tell when a, when a head coach and the play caller has confidence in his quarterback. I wrote a story about that for LettermanRoad.com earlier this year where I talked about it. it's kind of like you can learn French. You know, as anybody can, when you learn to think in French, yeah. like it appears uh, Justin thing. Fields is doing now, thinking in the same language and thought patterns as Ryan yeah. Day, both of you trust each other. And it is obvious he trusts Justin Fields to put the ball on the money nine times yeah. out of ten. And, I, I but not just put the ball – not just put the ball on the money, but to see what he's seeing. You know what I mean? And, uh, and convert – Such a great way of saying it for, for fans to understand it. When you start thinking the language instead of just understanding it, but you're thinking it that way. And yeah. I, Justin told me something I, – I did a Zoom with him really the last couple of weeks. And yeah. he told me something about quarantine and, and you know, the Big Ten shutting things down. And all of us on the outside are like, oh, man, how are they going to manage all this? And what's it been like for the players? He went opposite. He went – what a great time to plug in with Ryan Day, one-on-one yeah. -on -one in the film room, working on mechanics, studying and learning about my feet, working through my progressions, which, by the way, is the area I think he's improved the most, is a willingness to not – usually last year, he'd see that primary one hitch, it's taken away. His instincts would take over and he'd want to go. Now yeah. you'll see his feet. But look at his feet, how much calmer they are. He's kind of working his way now through – and then the last resort is him going, but he credits all that off time when all of us were panicking and watching the news and what's going on in the world. He's in a film room, 
hanging out with the, one of the best offensive minds, not just in college football, but in football. And so yeah. he really took advantage of that time. So I think you're seeing the fruition of that playing itself out. That was a, a big emphasis, and he deserves a lot of credit because I still – I think he and this, this offense is still – I don't want to say scratching the surface, but they're far from a, fren- a finished product. And I think uh, – I didn't think they could be any better than they were last year, but, man, they're – because we're all JK guys. Every time you hand off to JK, you hold your breath, he could go 80. And they don't have that this year, but I still think they can do it differently and be more physical in the run game. But man, when number one drops back to throw something good's about to happen, you know, and and I think all that, that work he put in with Ryan is, is paid off. Yeah. And then, you know, he's touched on, I mean, college football forever, ever since I started watching going to Alabama games with my dad back in the early sixties, it's, it's a revolving door, you know, I mean, from, from who you've got and you, you adapt and, and move on. And man, you are, you are so, uh, you are you are so obligated, in my opinion, to take advantage of a superstar when you get one, you know. And the great thing about Ohio State uh, is they've had really good quarterbacks through the last couple of years. But I wanted to get your take on this because you played the position at Ohio State, uh, Kirk, way back when. Uh, and by the way, it is way back when now. I don't know if you know that or not. Yeah, I know. You know, you're still know. a youngish. You're still yeah. a youngish looking. Uh, <laughs> is this the best? Is, is does Justin have the capability or the possibility of maybe being the best we've seen at Ohio State I mean just just the overall yeah you know like people ask me well what about Arch Leister Arch Leister was a hell of a player he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't as physically gifted and he was physically gifted but he wasn't as physically gifted as Justin is uh he was a really good passer but not I don't think his you know and there are guys you can compare him to but do you do you sense as an as an alum etc that this might be the best quarterback yet to have played at Ohio State no question no question. And I think if Art grew up in, in this era, if he were born in, in uh, the year 2000 and grew yeah. up and, you know, with a spread formations and he had the ability to run and throw. And if you yes. have the ability to run and throw in this offense and you can process and read and make decisions, Art would have been fun to, to watch. Uh, he was in an I formation, you know, it's third and nine yeah. play action with Earl Bruce and throwing. So, you and I are both, you know, big art guys, you know, what he did. But yeah. Yeah, Justin Fields is, I mean, Dwayne Haskins broke so many records and, and Justin Fields is doing it in such a different way. And I, I just happen to believe when I talk and I watch the game and I talked to all these defensive guys, you put a guy back there that has that ability to work through and be as accurate as he is. And he has those weapons. Now you got to respect that. And now he's got the feet to make you pay for it on third and seven. Watch the NFL. How many oh, times yeah. is Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray or Pat Mahomes, any of these guys, third down, you got everything covered. Oh, whoops, seven-yard, eight-yard scramble, first down, keep the sticks going. That, that, that's a difference maker. And Justin Fields, to me, I, it, he will be the best Ohio State quarterback that's ever played in Columbus by the time he's done this year. Yeah. Hey, real quick uh, before we move on, uh, uh, just what was your take? It looked like the defense got its feet under under itself, <laughs> with the exception of the Sean Wade uh, yeah. uh, Jahan Dotson matchup, which was, yeah. you got to give it up to Jahan Dotson, man. Yeah. Made some great plays. Yeah, you know, you always, you know, if you're if you're an audacious offense, you're going to you're going to like those one on one matchups, no matter who's the other guy, right? So yeah. and give yeah. it a shot. Uh, but uh, I think Sean learned a few things from that, but. Just defensively, what impressed you about Ohio State compared to the week before? Because 
it seemed much more relaxed. I mean, you know, we saw Tommy Togia have, have his best game yet. Yes, he looked good on the inside. Um, I, I thought Haskell was dominant, you know, in, on the inside. I, I, you know, by the way, Troy Smith, I would also throw in there. In yes. That oh, yeah. I, uh, Troy in this offense would be scary, too. But I, what I saw right away in comparison to the Nebraska game, first game, you always got to remember first game for any team uh, is different. You got a new defensive coordinator, carries back, you know, Jeff's over at BC and doing things eight a little bit starters. Right, yeah, right. starters. Right. All those guys, all those guys, seven guys that are in the NFL playing, not just in yeah. the NFL, they're playing. And now you got all the, I thought tough Borland. Uh, I thought Browning. I thought Warner. I, I just thought there was a physicality to them. If you go back and look at the Nebraska game and you watch how they played against Penn state, at the line of scrimmage with the defensive line. I thought the defensive ends were much more physical, much more involved in, in putting pressure. I mean, Clifford, every time he would drop back to throw, we, we would talk about on replay. Sometimes they wouldn't be getting to him, but there was so much intensity, a blitz or a, you know, he was just, he was just yeah. like this the whole time, you know, just not comfortable, especially in the first half when Ohio State built the lead. And so the, what I liked was the front seven played with intention. They played with purpose. They've played with a nastiness to them, which I love. I'm still gauging the secondary. I'm still, if there's an area that I want to see, I don't know if there's anybody left that they play in the regular season that could challenge that, but not, not Sean Wade giving up plays. He, he's an elite player and you're going to, you're going to lose some one-on-one battles like you said. Right. But I don't know about banks yet. I mean, he's a beautiful athlete. He hadn't played a lot of football. He started, yeah. by the way, against Michigan because of Arnett being dinged up. But he's been in some big games. But can you hang him on in an island and play Clemson and Alabama and those kind of teams and be okay? Um, yeah. the, the safeties, you know, you, you lost a lot of experience there. So I'm not saying that they're not capable, but I'm just saying if there's one area I'm still curious yeah. about or watching that that area grow – I think it's on the back end. I think this front seven, even without Chase Young or Nick Bosa or a guy like that, they still, with Larry Johnson's technique and the talent they have, they're going to be fine up front, which is, yeah. I think, after the Nebraska game, made me feel a lot better with how they played. I was going to say, first two weeks, they played against two really pretty good offensive lines, in my opinion. You know, yes. Nebraska's got really good. Here's the other thing. I, I, this is what impressed me about Saturday night with Kerry Combs. I thought that game was called defensively a lot like an NFL game I'm talking about. Uh, they, they didn't get super complex, but they he mixed up his pressures extremely well. It, they, they found out pretty early on, for example, that Pete Werner was pretty effective blitzing the A-gap. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah. and I mean, I thought, and like, like you're just saying, I thought they kept uh, Clifford off balance enough, especially when the game was really in doubt, yeah. with just some switching ruse, you know, having two safeties on the field, which he didn't do a lot. The week before, and uh, and using Proctor the way they did, and you know, let's face it, a uh, Fryermuth was was uh was going to be Penn State's default yeah. guy, and they did a great job of mixing their coverages on him and keeping him pretty much out of the game, right? Yeah, I think if as we grow and we watch, you know, they they move forward down the road. I think the guys in the front that have a chance to kind of go where we're we're talking about them and kind of counting on them because you 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 think you have an idea of, of how good they can be. I, you know, I, I think it. Jonathan Cooper is a physical guy, but I really think Zach Harrison, as he gets more experience, I know he's yeah. a highly touted guy, but I'm just talking about watching him. 
he has a chance to flash, a chance to be that guy that gets around the corner and, and make the play. Um, I, I also think that on the inside, Haskell Garrett, which is a great story I'm sure you've done a lot on. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize he had hands like that and an ability to be you know, thud and get off. Yeah. Um, they've always – I mean, Devon Hamilton was that guy last year. They've always kind of had a guy in there that was slippery – and this guy's more of a brute. I mean, he's more of like hit you on top of the head and throw you and, and be a force. So I, I, I really think Haskell Garrett is the guy that we're going to keep watching be a disruptor. Even though Togi, I got all the attention with the sacks. Uh, 92 is flashing to me. And like I said, I think nine off the edge will be the guy. Yeah. Yeah, 92. And 92 changed the game the week before against Nebraska. Coming yep. in second quarter, just made two two straight plays, which just flipped flipped the script, you know, from a defensive standpoint. It's just the spark. All they needed was that spark, and he provided it. Yep. And you're right, you know, Haskell Garrett, he wouldn't be the he wouldn't be the guy you want to be the bouncer. He's the guy you want to be leading you into the club and getting the bouncer out of the way. <laughs> and then boom, immediately going yeah. to the door. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're you're right. Or walking backwards like it looks like you're leaving. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what's great about it is – You know what's great about it is he has like a – I don't know with what he went through in August, if he has a – Fire? A, a, a fire or a newfound love or appreciation. You know, sometimes guys go through something that potentially takes the game away from them. Yeah. And, man, they come back. I, I just have never seen – because he was a little bit of a down-the-line guy. He played some, but he wasn't the guy. I just yeah. didn't know I'm learning every rep that I watch him and I'm loving the intensity that he plays with. Anytime, as you know, you get inside defensive linemen or 300 pound people to play hard yes. every snap. It's hard to find that. And then you throw in his skill set and the technique from Larry. And I'm just telling you, 92 is going to be an enforcer. Yeah, I wrote about that, and we've, we've talked about that on LermanRoad.com a bunch. I mean, the fact that I thought the two most underrated guys that they lost last year were Devon Hamilton and Jay Sean Cornell because they brought it every play they were in there. Yep. And to have guys step up who've been waiting, you don't really know about these guys. You know, I mean, they may have they may have flashed a little, but you don't know that day in and day out, you know, because even though they rotate guys in there, you still got to have those top two studs, right? Exactly. And I think Togi and Haskell Garrett, give them a big pop, you know, if they could just get that out of Antoine Jackson. They'd really have something going. Yeah. And hey, I don't know, I don't know much about, you know, some of the depth that they have there. I know Antoine Jackson plays a lot. Um, Jerron Cage could be in there. Vincent, I mean, some of those Vincent, guys. Vincent played. Yeah. Jerron Vincent's bit. coming off another injury, but he kind of played a little bit. I think the other I mean, night. He so. was a really highly touted. Oh yeah. In a guy that could be twitchy and kind of quick, at least coming in. So, yeah, that position is one of those where they just keep kind of working in their individual drills and working with Larry Johnson. And next thing you go, you know, you're watching them and you're like, where in the heck has this guy been? I wouldn't give up on any of them with Larry yeah. Johnson coaching them. Yeah. And they were inspired for him the other night, obviously, <laughs> yeah. because he's returning yeah. to the place where he probably, he probably should have gotten a shot at being the head coach there. Yeah, and I thought got real short shrift, but that's another that's yeah. another story. Uh, uh, and by the way, the great thing about Togi, I've always believed, and I don't know if you do. I just think, man, when you can affect the A gap, you know, you want to affect it on both sides of the ball, man. When you've got Wyatt Davis and uh, Josh Myers and Harry Miller, but then when you've got a guy that attacks like Devon Hamilton did last year, like Tommy Togi appears like he's ready to do the strongest man on the team. 
it just changes everything about your defense. I mean, it makes everybody more effective. And, yeah, you uh, throw Tough Borland in there behind him. Yes. I mean, you, you could say that, oh, Tough, you know, I, let me tell you, that dude's played so much football yeah. that he's allowed to play, and Spiels could tell you this, when you play that much football, let's say we clocked him and he's, a, I don't know what he runs, let's say he's a 4-6, but he plays at a 4-5 because he sees things and he sees a back off set to the left. He's communicating the tight ends here. They motion. He, yeah. A lot of linebackers who run 4-4, I've watched in the SEC in places, they see motion. They go trips into the boundary. They're like, they're looking over to the coach. Tough Borland. There's nothing that you can't do where he's not communicating, making sure. And that you can't put a value on having that. So you mentioned the two in the middle, but then you throw Borland right behind them. And that's – yeah. That's a really good uh, thing to have in that front seven. Yeah, and it's obvious Pete Warner's playing with some savvy, man. I mean, they yeah, switched yeah. him over to the, the weak side, like the wheel linebacker, which I, I told him it's kind of like becoming like the lead singer in a group. You know what I mean? You go from backup singer to yeah. lead singer. now, But now you got to deliver. I thought he delivered the other night pretty well. Yeah, yeah. It's more versatility, more playmaking opportunities for where they have him now, but he has it. I mean, he's essentially skill set of a safety. They yes. call him at linebacker. So he can bounce and, and do a lot of different things for him. Yeah, he's sort of the 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 uh, present day Sam Hubbard, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, exactly. hey, real quick, uh, just give me your take on what's going on in Michigan. Like you, a week ago, I was I watched them decimate uh, uh, Minnesota after, but you know, Minnesota had some problems from a personnel standpoint because of COVID and stuff. But uh, but I watched them just handled Minnesota pretty well. Joe Milton, wow, you know, he's touching some buttons there that hadn't been touched in recent times by Michigan quarterbacks in the yeah. cockpit, you know. And uh, I'm just going – and then we watched that – it was a – I wouldn't call it – I don't know if fiasco is the right word. You're a three-touchdown favorite against your in-state rival or whatever it was, three state, three touchdowns, I think. Not that that matters. You know enough about football to know that doesn't always matter. Yeah. But what did you see that really troubles you if in fact that's the correct term from Michigan, because you know, Jim Harbaugh's feeling the heat like he's never felt before, I think, this week. Yeah, I mean, he, obviously he's never beat Ohio State, and we've lived that in the old days with, with John Cooper. You you know what kind of cloud you could be playing Michigan State or you could be playing Indiana or you could be playing Illinois. There's just kind of that that yeah. cloud that never yeah. goes away that at any point can turn into lightning. And, yes. and all of a sudden you're taking cover, right? And yeah, that, good analogy. Ohio State lived with that for a long time. So, so we can appreciate what, what he's dealing with being at 0-5. They're not winning bowl games. I think they're 1-4. They're not beating top 10 teams. Uh, they're 1-6 now against Michigan State and Ohio State in, in, at home. And so Crazy. You, there's nowhere to escape that if you're a player. And you feel that if you're a player. And, you know, you come into a new year, even though that cloud's there, and they beat Minnesota soundly with a new quarterback. And like you said, you and I and everybody were like, hey, you know, defense looks like they're good. And, hey, this looks like a, a solid Michigan team. And what I saw in the Michigan State game is Michigan State lost the week before. They had seven turnovers against Rutgers. And you're like, poor Mel, this was going to be a long year. They come back, kind of backed into a corner, and played angry and the way you should play in a rivalry game. Michigan didn't. Michigan looked like they were at a Saturday morning practice. It, uh, they were moving it from the facility over to the stadium. Okay, we'll go over to the stadium yeah. and have a scrimmage. Yeah. That's what it Get felt like. Yeah. yeah, that's what it felt like. They were out playing a scrimmage. 
And that's, of course, the coach's responsibility to get them up to a level of nastiness to play in a game. And Let me interrupt you. That's exactly the feeling I had watching that game, the exact same feeling. One team, no offense, seemed to want it more for yeah. one, you know, yeah. but, and the other team thought it was just going to be handed to, you know, I mean, it was going to be uh, an well, exercise. Just, Go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think they felt threatened, and that's always the danger of going into a game where you feel like, yes. you know, and Jim probably tried everything he could to get them ready. So we could break down. They didn't run the ball the way they did the previous week. The secondary w- was giving up some big plays. You know, I mean, there was a freshman from Michigan State, Ricky White. He had 200, almost 200 yards receiving by himself. Lombardi's been there. You know, he played some last year. It's not like, you know, you're worried about how you're going to defend with respect to Lombardi. But he was throwing yeah. it around and make Don Brown plays that leave corners on an island kind of defense. So, I mean, we could break all the XOs down all you want, but I think what I took away from that is this team just showed up flat, not inspired, and got out-hustled and out-coached, and out, they just got outperformed in a rivalry game. And now they're one and one There's that dark cloud now with the thunder and lightning, and they're going to Bloomington, and yeah. it's the completely clear skies. Tom Allen, who's come close against Ohio State, he's come close against Michigan, He's come close against Penn State coming into this year, has a landmark win against Penn State, follows it up with a solid performance against Rutgers. Here the Hoosiers are 2-0 and and saying, hey, we, we've played with Michigan before. Let's, let's, let's take care of business. So you kind of have teams emotionally going in two different directions, at least coming in. So that the last thing that Michigan can afford to do, and especially yeah. Jim Harbaugh, is to lose Saturday to Indiana and be 1-2 and coming on the heels of losing to Ohio State last year, losing to Alabama in big fashion, and then starting one and two. That would be – so I don't know what the answer is, but that's what I saw uh, this past Saturday. Agreed. Uh, by the way, Indiana might end up being the second-best team in the Big Ten East. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. I mean – What the job they, he's doing? I yeah. mean, he's doing oh, yeah. the job. I, I still think Penn State, if they can lick their wounds being 0-2, has a pretty good shot to to run the table i think i think i think penn state could 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 win out but uh we're learning i mean things you know how it is we thought michigan was good and then it's like oh oh, oh." i mean it's just one of those years it's really hard to get a handle on some of this yeah i've only got a couple more minutes with you let me ask you this uh i'm looking at the at at the top three in the in the in the nation to me are exactly what we thought they would be they're the deepest rosters clemson uh alabama and ohio state whatever war order you want to put them in uh, I think Alabama, like I said, I've been watching Alabama my whole life. Alabama, I think, has its most potent offense ever because of the Najee Harris on top of the big-time pro-passing game. There is no doubt about it. Uh, they don't have that running quarterback. So far, they haven't really needed him. You know, But Mac Jones, oh, my goodness. And, uh, and I, I know you know Clemson's got a couple of Herb Streets on their roster, so it's got to be good, right? But uh, no, but my point is uh, – there's no surprise who the top three are, right? I mean, no, uh, no. We just every, every week, every way you want to put them, right? Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, and with me, I, I do like a thing on Sunday where I release what what I think of the, yeah. the top four, and I, I've had Clemson up there at one until this past week. They kind of messed around with Syracuse two weeks ago, messed around big in a big fashion against BC without Trevor and came back to win. I put them down at three. I moved Alabama one, Ohio State at two, and after that. I mean, whoever you want to put there, Notre Dame, uh, Georgia. I like ball. I like BYU. Yeah, uh, a lot of people do, man. My buddy I, Jeff Snook thinks they're underrated. Yeah, I've been driving that BYU bus. I happened to call their opening game against Navy, and I was like, 
they don't play anybody, but they're winning by an average margin of 45 to 14. They're doing what's asked of them. They play Boise Friday night, by the way. I, I, yeah. I, I if, if everything happens that I think will happen, Ohio State wins out, Clemson wins out, and Alabama wins out, all these other teams are going to be losing. Why not BYU? I mean, if they're undefeated, I, I, I think BYU should be that fourth team. They got an NFL quarterback, physical at the line of scrimmage. They can run the ball. They can uh, throw it around. Defense is good. So don't be yeah. shocked if BYU keeps kind of inching up. And Cincinnati with Luke Fickle doing an incredible job. But, yeah, I think those three are the three. And one thing about Alabama, they, they took a big hit when Jalen Waddle went down for the year with that, with that injury. Sure. Uh, he, he is – as, as explosive as any receiver in the country. So they still have Devontae Smith and they still have Najee Harris and Mac Jones is playing great. And Sark, their offensive coordinator is, is, is one of the best in the country. So they're finding ways to still be dynamic. And I think they will be, you know, they're still going to have a shot, shot to get into the playoff, but you know, you take off a Teddy Ginn off of Ohio state or, you know, a, a, a you know, a big time, you know, with Ohio state right now, Olave is great and Garrett Wilson, but they, they have like, eight guys that can, that can hurt you. Alabama had Jalen Waddle at a different level and oh, yeah. so that's gone. So uh, keep an eye on that as, as they progress offensively. But yeah, I think it's the big three and everyone else right now. Yeah. Hey, last thing. Uh, uh, as you look at this, uh, I, I keep telling people, you know, cause I'm on a bunch of radio shows here all the time. And uh, I do a pregame show with 97.1, the fan, which is the most fun thing I've ever done in my life. Just talking football for two hours. You know what I mean? What's yeah. better than that? Yeah. And uh, but I keep reminding people, you know, this no matter what's gone on with Ohio State football over the years, uh, and I've been covering this since '84, and I get even kind of like chill bumps t- saying this out loud. But this is the golden era. I mean, you will look back, people will look back on this era 20 years from now and be going, "Oh my goodness, they Ur- Urban Meyer." You know, obviously, Trestle had the great run, which started the Michigan downfall. And uh, but this Urban Meyer and now Ryan Day era is wow. This this is elite football. They don't you know, you're not going to always win the national championship. Even Alabama doesn't do that. But I think this is is elite from the standpoint of being among the nation's top three as Ohio State maybe has ever been, but definitely on an extended period. What is your take on that? I've been an Ohio State fan since. I can remember uh, I've watched probably every game since 1978 or so. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a time when Ohio state fans accepted an eight and three year with a win over Michigan and then it would go to whatever bowl game. And if they won that bowl game, everyone was happy, you know, it was nine yeah. three, finished 12th in the country and away you go. And I think it was kind of that way until the big 10 and the pac 10, then now pac 12, were thrown into the same hat into the BCS. And Jim Trestle had the breakthrough moment in 02 where, because remember the big 10 was connected to the Rose bowl. So you had Miami and you had Oklahoma and you had all these teams, Notre Dame, they were all kind of playing in their own pool. Yeah. We were, we were just like, Hey, let's get to the Rose bowl. And that was really all that mattered. We didn't care who won the mythical national, as long as we're in the Rose bowl, and if you didn't make the Rose Bowl, it was a de- dejection. But that was really all you cared about. Then everybody got into the same pool in 98. And then it changed. The dynamic yeah. changed. You could play a team like uh, Florida or you could play Texas or whoever. And then Jim Trussell wins the national championship in 02. That's what changed the expectation and the fan base. And so now you're right. 
what Jim Trestle did should never be taken away from him. I mean, those were an amazing team. So much fun yes. to watch. Urban Meyer inherits the team and obviously through recruiting, took it to a, even a higher level. And now we have Ryan Day for a couple of years and it, it, everybody wondered, okay, he's inheriting Urban Meyer's players. Let's see what he can do on his own. I don't follow recruiting really closely, but I do look at Ohio State's current roster. I, I think I, the bar might even be raised even a little bit higher as far as yeah. the players that he's bringing in. And so yeah. you're right. I mean, it, this is a time I know I'm trying to stay in a positive lane through all this. I know we don't, there was a lot going on politics and a lot going on around the world and scary times for a lot of people, a lot of us. And I get it. I'm trying as hard as I can to try to stay in a positive lane. Like I had people, man, I, the whiteout, I can't believe it. I was like, it's, we're watching college football, man. Exactly. We're watching, we're watching college football. You know, I know we don't have the crowd and we don't, mm-hmm. but we at least we're watching games. And so, yeah, take a step back to appreciate you're watching Justin Fields. You're watching Ryan Day. You're watching the Buckeyes that unless they get a major upset, they got a real shot to, to win a Big Ten championship again. Don't take those championships for granted. And then get into the playoff. And who knows? You know, maybe avenge last year's controversial loss to Clemson and, and see what <laughs> happens. But, yeah, man, it's, it is the golden era. It is, it is very, very special. And it's, it's fun to, for guys like you and I that live it every week all year. It's fun to yep. watch and grow and, and uh, keep this thing going. Ladies and gentlemen, Kirk Kerbstreet, one of my favorite people of all time, you know, and uh, uh, I know I know I've said that a million times on the show, but Kirk, thanks for joining the Tim May podcast again, my man. Hey, anytime. Love always talking uh, college football with you because I know how much you, you love the sport. So anytime you need me, just let me know. You got it, man. I'll take him up on that, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back in a moment with a few wrap-ups. Yes, awesome, Ward. That was uh, Kirk Herbstreit joining me again on the Tim May podcast, and I always enjoy having him on because, you know, contrary to popular belief, that man tells it like it is, tells it right down the middle. As I say, he walks the middle of the street. But uh, the problem in this age is when you're walking the middle of the street and giving objective opinions and it doesn't, you don't, it doesn't agree with uh, someone who's listening, uh, then you're biased. And I think uh, Kirk has walked that uh, fine line about as well as anybody uh, through the years. I don't know if you agree or not. Yeah, I do. And that's, if both sides uh, wind up hating you, that tells you that you've probably done that job pretty well. Um, yeah. You know, he calls the biggest games in the sport. Like you said, he, you know, he's risen to the top of that profession. He's one of the most famous you know, color analysts the college football has ever had at this point. So you call the big games, and that means you're also going to be calling the two, the two biggest, most passionate fan bases, uh, or, or 10 or 12 over the course of a year. So they're all going to pick up on things. You know, you also get unhappy when plays don't go your way, and he can rightly point that out. I don't think he gets a lot wrong. He is as prepared and professional as they come, and, and you know, I don't get to listen to a lot of uh, his, you know, analy- analyst, analyzing color analysts yeah. because of, you know, the number of games that we're in a press box for and traveling and that whatnot, but I've always enjoyed my time around him. Yeah, he's always been a gentleman, too, since I met him when he was uh, 17 years old. And he's he's never really changed, at least our relationship hasn't. Uh, quality young man from a quality family. His dad was a captain at Ohio State. And, uh, you know, and, of course, Kirk was a quarterback. But I digress. You know, the run I'm getting to here near the end of that conversation, as you know, uh, you know, I, I told him, I said, I hope people are understanding, uh, and I'm paraphrasing my own self here now, this is the golden age of Ohio State football. 20 years from now – People are going to look back on this era because it's hard to believe this can just continue. Perhaps it can. But 
Ohio State's one of those few, uh, one of those few programs, maybe the only program that you know the Luke Fickle, uh, the Luke Fickle year in 2011 when he had to suddenly take the place of Jim Trussell. I just count that as an asterisk because uh, he was thrown into a tough, tough situation there. But uh, from Jim Trussell, uh, I'm talking about 2001, basically 2002 to now. It's kind of like watching a wildfire jump fire breaks. You know, it's only gotten it's only gotten hotter and more intense yeah. as it's gone along. And Urban Meyer to to Ryan Day, not only has it been seamless, I think it's gotten more intense. Uh, he agreed with me on that. Do you agree? Yeah, and it's it's sort of like those those years where Ohio State loses a, a Joey Bosa, and then you know Taekwon Lewis and Nick Bosa and. Sam Hubbard and Jalen Holmes, and then you lose, you know, Nick Bosa. And the next, like, at some point, you, know, you think that the bar can't be raised any higher. And when you're talking about Urban Meyer and three national championships, you're like, well, Ryan Day might be really good, but surely there's got to be some drop off at some point. And there hasn't. It's gone the other way because I think that, you know, new ideas are good for, for college football programs. Jim Trestle, you know, stayed a little bit past. Six or seven or eight years is about the sweet spot in my mind, even for the greatest of coaches in this day and age, because you have to adapt. It does help, you know, Ryan Day skews a little bit younger and you see some of the things that Ohio State does now uh, on the recruiting trail. Urban Meyer did start that, but just the ability to continue to relate to younger kids and, and refresh and recharge and bring in new ideas, because you know, we saw that at the end. Urban Meyer still won the Big Ten, but the defensive problems had caught up and that needed a a wipeout, a, re, a refresh, yeah. hit the reset button, and Ryan Day helped bring that. And that's, I think, elevated it more than anything, is that the defense is catching up with what was so phenomenal on offense. Yeah, and this offense, though, it's gone to another level again this year. I thought it did to a certain extent last year. But now you've got a real pro passing game. And uh, and, and then Ryan Day, is, as, as Kirk and I talked about, he's audacious. I mean – and by that I mean he's audacious and he he is he is bound to determine his team be tough. And he's bound to determine that there be no real doubts within his team. What were we all talking about a week ago? The the running game, you know, running game just wasn't as crisp. And I pointed out there were reasons for that. Number one, you had two new starters on the offensive line. You had running backs who'd never really been the guys yet at Ohio State, had been kind of there. But then you're playing against an awkward front, you know, an odd man front with Nebraska where they were kind of like changing almost every play, who was coming, who wasn't, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that makes it a tough debut kind of uh, uh, to go against if you're an offensive line and an offense. You come out against a more conventional Penn State on Saturday night. The first three plays of the game are runs, a jet sweep to Garrett Wilson and two runs by Master Teague the third, and they're in the end zone. I think it was two or three runs by Master Teague the third, and they're in the end zone. Justin Fields hadn't thrown a pass yet to this great fleet of wide receivers, and they're up seven nothing in Happy Valley. Uh, that's what that's that's what I like about Ryan Day is I think he's incredibly intelligent when it comes to he and Kevin Wilson uh, and Corey Dennis in the group of designing an offense, but then he's also audacious, meaning he might call anything at any time. And I think that's – and like he talked about, you know, calling that little pop pass to uh, Jeremy Rucker, that was a little bit of a heart, and, heart into your throat kind of moment because if you don't convert it, you look like a fool, kind of like what happened to Michigan on Saturday, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
they put the uh, they put the wildcat in there, and then they throw a the little pass to the tight end, and it's barely tipped out of the way by Antoine Simmons, a guy who uh, Joe Milton claims he never heard of for yes for Saturday. And uh, you know what I'm saying? But, but but my point is, he's not afraid. Not only does he have the weapons, he's not. I'm talking about Ryan Day. He's not a play to, not afraid to play offense. Yeah, I think you know the the fourth down calls to put the game away show you who Ryan Day is and how much faith he has in his team. The other part is what you touched on earlier, Tim, that last week we spent it talking about the rushing attack and how it might get better from week one to week two or, um, you know, the other really trendy thing to break down was there wasn't that much defensive pressure from the front. So what happened the very next week? Well, he's got a lot of talented players. He's also got a talented coaching staff, and he also knows how to push the right button. So what happens? We saw this again last year. That, that opening drive against Penn State where they ran it down the throat. It was like, hey, you haven't been challenged. Well, all right, here you go. The running attack comes out 200 yards at Penn State. Yep, the new wrinkle, something that you and I have been talking about for a year where when you go under center, you can add some of these more of these jet sweeps and, and ghost motions and things like that to help the rushing attack. Shows it right off the bat. No, that doesn't even wait. Not a gadget. Here it is. Here's play one. Yeah. Hope you can adjust to it or you're going to be worried about it for the rest of the game. And then the defensive line, my goodness. I mean, no one would ever around here or in, in Happy Valley question Larry Johnson's ability. Uh, I certainly didn't. But it was an area where, hey, from week one to week two, where you can, where can you get better? Well, Jonathan Cooper, Tommy Togiai, Haskell Garrett again, Zach Harrison, uh, they answered that question about as emphatically as you possibly could. Yeah, absolutely. Tommy Togiai, have a game, right? I mean, Oof. three sacks, asserted himself. Now, like, I do have a question. Wouldn't Sam. leave. And then. What? I do have a question on the sacks. I feel like every time that we cover a game in State College that the stat sheet is wrong. Yeah. And I thought that Jonathan Cooper should have at least got a half on that last one that got went to Tommy Togia. So I was this is inside baseball, but I'm I'm trying to, you know, get the instant reaction, snap judgments to go. We file it at the buzzer. Yeah. And I'm sitting here I'm waiting, like, is the stat sheet gonna refresh? Like, did Cooper get part of that? And it just said to- Togia, and I couldn't believe it because like I thought for sure that Cooper, if not even getting it solo, had at least an assist on that one. Well, sometimes, though, it's hard to mark, mark those things down clearly when you got tears in your eyes. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, that might have been the case over there where they're stat keepers. Because, you know, like I pointed out in a little story I wrote about, you know, obviously special teams can be a lot better than they were on Saturday night. You missed two chip shot field goals. Like you said, the game, you know, we were talking about this earlier, the game would have been that really skewed the game, the final score, et cetera kind of skewed the real dominance that Ohio State portrayed on, on Saturday night. But anytime you win by double figures in Happy Valley, go look it up, man. <laughs> That's reason to rejoice. And you're right, man, with Tommy Togiai getting on the beam. But just think about the things, you know, I talked about that with Kirk, is the things that opened up from an A-gap situation uh, with blitzing. I thought that was a very well-called um, defensive game by Kerry Combs. They mixed things up really well, didn't get crazy but they mix things up really well with their pressures and stuff and occasionally bring in Pete Werner, occasionally bring in Tough Borland. A couple of times I think they even brought both of them, brought Baron Browning on occasion, mixed up their coverages on Friermuth. And I thought that instead of just putting one guy on him and us going, hey, he shut him down. They had three or four guys involved in shutting him down, and they did shut him down. He's, he's their default uh, you know, player when everything else goes wrong, throw it to the big guy. And I thought Ohio State did a, defensively did a great job on him. Some one-on-one balls. You know, that's why they call them 50-50 balls. 
Uh, and Sean Wade definitely knows what a 50-50 ball is right now. And, yeah. You know, he had he's had better moments, let's put it that way, than he had the other night. And uh, especially on that last deep slant, uh, he just kind of looked like he got kind of lost in space in, uh, in his man coverage there. And, uh, you know, that's why the, the score ended up being as close as it was. And by that, I mean it was still a double-digit uh, difference. Uh, all in all, pretty impressive victory on the road in Happy Valley, which was a mere facsimile, not even a facsimile, of what Happy Valley usually looks like when Ohio State goes over there. You know what was also interesting about that trip, Tim? And, and uh, I think you're, it's not the most fun in the Big Ten um, for all the other reasons that tied to it. But, but, you know, the atmosphere is so cool. That's one of the, the real joys of doing this. But and I wondered what it would be like because the acoustics in that building are so unique. Uh, sometimes I think it aids the performance of the whiteout crowd. And so I was like, you know, I was asking Burns, like, what's a good way – because we're in the press box, we couldn't even really get out of it. Yeah, but the windows, the windows were shaking from from the speakers, and you know the tin tin box there. So someone in the in the Ohio State traveling party that I talked to yesterday did have uh, a way to measure it out in the crowd, and they said it it checked in at 105 decibels on Saturday night, which, as you and I both know, is above uh, the agreed upon rules that the Big Ten set for only only about 15. Yeah, and I don't, you know, <laughs> just just missed it. Yeah, I, I just thought that was, you know, interesting. I, I don't know if there's been any formal complaint. Yeah, um, it didn't matter in the outcome, but I just thought that was interesting because the shoe the week before felt like they, you know, we didn't even really hear that in the press box, and then one week later we're at this place that didn't get their fans in, and suddenly the windows were rattling. Yeah, well, you know, but that also could be just the fact that press box seems like it's 145 years old. I mean, built out of boilerplate uh, left over from World War II battleships or something. I'm, I'm telling you, not not my favorite, never been one of my favorite places to go for all kinds of reasons. Uh, but uh, it is what it is at this point. But you're right. I mean, uh, you know, but with an officiating crew that, in my opinion, doesn't know what uh, roughing a passer is and also can't count the two. Oklahoma, one Oklahoma, two Oklahoma, then, you know, what do you expect? I mean, uh, it would have probably fallen on deaf ears if you had complained, but uh, it is what it is at this point. Yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a shame the way the first half ended. And, uh, and, you know, move on from there, right? Lessons learned. Real quick before we touch on something else, uh, what is the threat that Rutgers brings to Ohio Stadium on Saturday night? What is your feel? What is the threat from Rutgers? Yeah, what is the threat from Rutgers? A team that beat Michigan State, which beat Michigan, uh, and stayed in the game at least with Indiana. Uh, maybe Ohio State Indiana may have established themselves as the two best teams in the East at this point. What is – yeah, this is a legitimate question. What is the threat? <laughs> what is the threat level with Rutgers coming to town under Greg Schiano? I feel like you were setting me up. Um, I was. The threat level. Like I'm the uh, volleyball. I'm the uh, libero. Uh, zero. The threat level is boredom. The threat level is disinterest. The threat level is, uh, are they safe in New Jersey? And are they going to spread something through your team? Um, on the physical, on the field, on the physical field in that game, there is no way in hell that Rutgers can beat Ohio State or even challenge them. And frankly, I have a hard time imagining how that's ever going to change, but it certainly won't on Saturday. Well, I saw an oddsmaker 
put out a list of Ohio State's remaining games. I think there's a 1.2% chance of Rutgers winning. So you're saying there's a chance. Ooh, uh, that's I would saying, like to, I'd like to have some of what he's drinking. Yeah. Hey, real quick, let's, before we get done here, uh, you know, because we, we've been around for a while. I've been around this program longer than you have, but, uh, and I've been around the rivalry, the game, mm-hmm. uh, longer than you have. Uh, can remember watching it back in 1961 on our black and white TV in, uh, in, in Demopolis, Alabama, but I digress. Is Michigan at a crossroads with Jim Harbaugh? Because a week ago, and I talked with Kirk about this, I want to get your take. A week ago, we're singing their praises. Hey, they've come out of their shell, Joe Milton, uh, blah, blah, blah. Now we're sitting here going, they lost to a team that lost to Rutgers. They lost to a team that had seven turnovers and lost to Rutgers. Uh, we're talking about Michigan State and Mel Tucker, who, as I've said in preseason, I think Mel Tucker's going to do a really good job at Michigan State because he's going to bring worldwide recruiting back to the back to the four there for them. But I digress. That's that's for another program. Yeah. Uh, wow. If Michigan goes to Indiana and gets beat, what do you think, man? Well, that performance by Michigan on Saturday was more in line with what I expected from them this year. And I think that week one was a little bit of um, fool's gold and misleading. Minnesota not being as good as, it, as we yeah. thought. I mean, what I saw from Minnesota against Maryland, which we'll talk about Mike Loxley uh, next week, but, you know, that was that, – that defense for Minnesota was absolutely awful. Um, and I think that – so that's – we were trying to wonder, like, is that Michigan's difference with Joe Milton? Right. Is this offense – you know, more innovative is speed and space. Is that finally arrived? Well, I really thought before the season started, I chalked up that as a Minnesota win over Michigan and that Michigan would be able to win the next week against Michigan State. But I still had that for a team that I thought would go four and four. This is not a good Michigan team I didn't expect. And yeah, last week you kind of, you, you take the week one overreaction. You're like, well, all right, maybe it's more interesting again in the rivalry. But Saturday confirmed what my suspicions about this team. And when you ask if they're at a crossroads, I think they've been at the crossroads um, and they just don't know how, you know, where to go. They're just standing there because they, they want so desperately to, to have been right about Jim Harbaugh, that he was the savior and that the alma mater was going to be healed and, and he could do this and that. He can't. It's been proven yeah. that he, this is as far as it goes with him. and. He's been talking for the last two years and interested in going back to the NFL. And if Michigan doesn't have, um, I don't even know the word, the incentive, desire to move on from him, then they're going to, the best thing for the program then, Jim Harbaugh really wants to help them, is that he needs to leave. Because that's, there's just, they're not going to get any better under him. Yeah. Well, you know, recruiting always tells the tale. That's what Kirk and I were talking about. You know, I mean, Recruiting always tells the tale, and, you know, I, th- I think it's been pretty – I think Berm, uh, Jeremy Birmingham and uh, Spencer Holbrook talk about recruiting all the time, but, I mean, yeah. you know, on our on our website, lettermanroad.com. Uh, but the bottom line is they've been – you know, Penn State's been the, pretty much the number two recruiting team in the Big Ten off and on for the last many years behind Ohio State. Michigan's had its little bit of a run, but they just haven't stacked up the players – like I don't think like Penn State has, but definitely, no doubt about it, like Ohio State has from a quality standpoint, and and now 
it's pretty much I think they're going to be in dog a couple couple of other dog fights before they even get to Ohio State uh, before this thing is done. And it's going to be interesting to see how this season turns out for them. But without a doubt, uh, their game with Indiana, boy, just think if Indiana pulls that one off. Uh, Indiana might be the toughest game on Ohio State's schedule this year. Everybody was poo-pooing it, talking about the two speed bumps at the beginning and the end, Penn State and Michigan. But uh, Indiana, when you get a little confidence going, you got a pretty good scheme going, and you get some breaks going your way, which they've had all of that <laughs> the first two weeks, uh, things can happen. You know, I've seen it happen with my own eyes to, to Ohio State way back in 2002. And uh, not that I'm projecting that from Indiana, but confidence – goes a long way, confidence in your coaching staff, confidence in the way you're playing. Uh, and I, would, I couldn't see two teams on more divergent paths right now than Indiana and Michigan. But if Michigan gets it all together and gets by Indiana, you know, you can always straighten up, right? Well, Indiana's ranked this week now, right? Yeah, I Jim think Harbaugh, so. Jim Harbaugh, not too good against those teams in the polls for whatever they're worth. And that's a different show from a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's exactly right. But, uh, you know, the, the record is what it is. And at some point, Michigan is going to have to decide what it is willing to accept. And if it no longer wants to compete at Ohio State's level, then it can keep Jim Harbaugh forever because he's really good at beating the teams on the schedule that he should, and he's not good at beating the teams that he shouldn't. I just, remember Michigan's, yeah, I just remember Michigan's president being one way about playing this fall and uh, Jim Harbaugh being the other. And this is probably the worst time to be uh, on on opposite sides of an argument. Uh, you know what I'm talking about yep. for a head coach and a president of a university. But we'll especially see. Hey, real quick, not, especially if you're not making it worth their while on the field. Correct. That's my that's my point. Yeah. Uh, uh, real quick, quick answers. Okay. Uh, we all know Tommy Togiai and uh, Justin Fields were. Uh, defensive player of the week and co-offensive player of the week, respectively, in the Big Ten. Who else? Just give me one name and one reason why. Who, one guy, not five. One guy who caught your eye on Saturday uh, that you think is going to be being a factor down the road for Ohio State. Uh, Josh Proctor. Um, start. You can see he's starting to turn the corner. We've talked. I know he's kind of a favorite on this podcast. We talk about him all the time. Yeah, um, he was lining up in some like more coverage situations. You talked about stopping Fryermuth. He was part of that at some point. Yes, uh, I think you see the light coming on, and I think if this Cam Brown injury uh, lingers the way I expect that it will, yes, um, you know you're going to have to. Kerry Combs will have to come up with some other solutions in the secondary. There'll probably be some Mark, Marcus Williamson more load for him. Definitely going to be more for Proctor. Maybe it's. You know, so I, I know you told me not to name five guys, but I, I'm yeah, definitely the point of why Proctor is important. He's going to have yeah. to be on the field if one of these guys is taken out. I just want you to make your point and let it stand on its own instead of, uh, you know, instead of bringing three or four other flags to march in around. You know, that's my point. Well, this my, is mine, a supporting cast for that argument. Yeah. Mine, Haskell Garrett. I thought Haskell Garrett was as impressive, if not more, than he was in the first game. And only because you're looking – I mean, Tommy Togia, you know he's going to bring it every play. Yeah. But you're looking for that energy guy, the other energy guy, and there is no doubt when Haskell Garrett's on the field. He's shot out of a cannon four or five times on just regular plays. Just right. forget you. I'm getting by you, and <laughs> yeah, I'm going to cause havoc, you know, and yeah. uh, create chaos. And he definitely did that, Haskell Garrett. Offensively, uh, who is the guy that you saw Saturday night that you think 
is even going to get better. Jeremy Ruckert. Um, the stat line sure is – wait, wait a minute. You sure that wasn't just his game where they throw him – where they throw oh. the dog to bone and they put him back in the kennel? Yeah. I, I mean, it, it could always be that. There's always that danger at tight end. And, and I don't think that the stats are going to go crazy. It's too obvious to just say Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson can keep getting better, so I won't. But, you know, the tight ends collectively caught six balls in that game, Tim. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, you don't, you, you don't see that very often. And I don't know that that's going to happen every single week. But sort of the same way with the jet sweep and, and that wrinkle in the offense, that was, that's another part that they can explore. Oh, yeah. And four, you know, I think it was four for 25 for Rucker. It's not crazy. But you score twice, that's going to give teams a lot to think about in the red zone. Um, you had those couple drives that Ohio State didn't finish off. But when you're talking about having all hands on deck, against, you know, against an Alabama or a Clemson, he has shown a knack, especially like you're just taking the last four or five weeks of last season and carrying it over now. Yeah. He's building into something now. Hey, uh, Luke Farrell, what's his status for people who want to know? He came back in the game late, which tells you – you know, they don't have lingering concerns with him. Yeah. This is an interesting week. Um, you know, you talked about Blake Hobule and wrote about that. You know, Luke Farrell did come back in the game, so I think that tells you he, he should be good to go, that you wouldn't take that risk otherwise. Uh, Justin Hilliard, false positive, assuming that he's, you know, on track health-wise, which he wasn't on the availability report on Friday. He should be able to play on Saturday. Uh, Cam Brown, Ohio State has not uh, disclosed anything on that situation, yeah. but that – uh, I understand is trending towards a potential season-ending injury for him. Yeah, that's, that's, what, I'm, that's what I'm hearing. Uh, uh, but the bottom line is with Hallbell, do you think do you think that will – is that a uh, – is because uh, basically indicated with some type of groin injury or yeah. groin strain, do you think that's something that will linger with him? I mean, what, what, what do you, obviously the groin strains have to be treated, uh, you know, they have to be treated with kid gloves because you, you can really come back too fast, you know, and then, then you're done for the year. What's, yeah. your, what's your take? I, I think that and it's crazy to even put it in these terms, but if you're going to need him at all, you need him against Indiana. And I cannot yeah. believe I'm saying that, but, you know, if you have any issue whatsoever with that groin for a kicker, um, you take it yes. very, very gingerly uh, this week against Rutgers. You think about what you need against Maryland, which probably still won't be place kicking. You, you truly probably won't need it against Indiana, but I think Ohio State has to approach this whole you know, stretch of the schedule as that's the big one now and and go from there. Yeah, and I never gave my offensive player that I thought stood out. I thought Harry Miller had a much better game, much more effective game at left guard than he did the week before. I didn't think – you know, a lot of times the, the first week you're just trying to carry out your assignment no matter what it is, but you got to be so aware out there anymore with, with teams that are as aggressive as they are mixing things up. And I thought he was – I thought he was much better. You know, we'll see if he's even on the champions list. <laughs> but, uh, but I like the way he played the, the times when I zeroed in on him. Hey, last thing. Uh, uh, Ohio State back to number three in the polls. Kirk had him rated number two this week behind Alabama. Because uh, let's face it, you know, yes, uh, Clemson didn't have uh, Trevor Lawrence and won't have him again this week. But what really stunned you was how Boston College moved the ball against Clemson's defense in that game. You know, uh, what do you I, – I think Ohio State more and more is looking like – is looking like one of those top two teams, maybe in the, even the number one team 
when you really boil it down, first two games of the year, as effective as it has been on both sides of the ball. What's your take on that? Yeah, and I think, you know, Nebraska was unclear. Like, they made such great adjustments in the last 38 minutes ago without giving up that touchdown. Like, okay, there's signs of, of life on that defense. I thought they actually played much better uh, against Penn State uh, overall. They wound up giving up more points, um, even if you take out the six uh, or whatever with our clever math. But when you get that kind of pressure, I think that there were people who – in fact, I know there were. Urban Meyer talked about this a few weeks ago at the Pine House on weekend kickoff. Like, if there's not a Chase Young, do they get the same level of pressure uh, from Jonathan Cooper, Tyreek Smith, Zach Harrison? You know, now you're seeing that. Um, yeah. There was the uncertainty. You know, same thing with the secondary. Yeah, Sean Wade gave up a couple plays. Two of them were sensational catches. One of them was uh, – you know, looked like a potential offensive pass interference to me. Uh, is Sean Wade going to bounce back? I'm pretty confident that he will. Um, Marcus Hooker gets his hands on the football. He's playing better at safety. Front to back, I just – that's the difference. If you're going to be the number one team, we know that Ohio State and Clemson and Alabama are all going to score. Um, the most complete defense for me um, right now is Ohio State. I still can't get out of my mind, especially now for Clemson and what they did against Boston College, but Alabama's game against Ole Miss. Like, you're going to – that's the defense you're going to take into a game against Justin dude, Fields? Good luck to you. Dude, Alabama, Alabama just shut down the air raid. They just uh, shut down the air raid. The Mississippi State air shut raid. down Mike Leach? Give me a break. <laughs> I was going to say, man, man, you better bring something more to the table when you get in the SEC than thinking you're just going to give your know, scheme guys open, man. you got to have the guys to, to get schemed open. And uh, I think the reality uh, bites, you know, bites hard. Uh, in ah. every league, but especially in the SEC, when you're when you're thinking you're just going to outscheme everybody offensively. But uh, but I'm agreeing with you. Everything you just said there, awesome. I appreciate you coming on the Tim May podcast again. Actually, I should just say I appreciate Austin Ward always being on the Tim May podcast, with a few <laughs> exceptions during the summer when I was letting him uh, take care of his throat. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, until next week, uh, we'll, when we will be breaking down what happened against Rutgers and what's coming around the corner for Ohio State. This is Tim May for Awesome Ward. We'll see you then.